This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks very much for joining us for the latest Cafe Connect, which is a podcast brought to you by the Public Engagement with Research Unit at the University of Aberdeen. So I'm Chris Crowley. I I work in public engagement with research at the university and this podcast exists to really connect people with the latest thoughts, ideas and research that's going on at the university. And today I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Derek Ball, who is the head of sports science based in the School of Medicine, Medical Science and Nutrition at the university. So hello, Derek. Uh, Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm trying to do the thing that you would expect a sports scientist to do, which is uh, try and keep active, keep fit. Um, but it's juggling all those things, Chris, as you know. Yeah, indeed. Uh, fitting it all in. That and that's yeah. you know, and yet, yeah, Derek, my <laughs> in my head, the next question I was going to ask you was, you keep me active, but yes, yes, <laughs> you clearly are, and that's good. And I suppose that I mean that obviously leads us into what it is that we're here to talk about today, and that is your your work and your research onto you know the the effects, the physiological effects of exercise and activity, and looking at that kind of guess within the general context of the pandemic. And you know, I will put my hands up and say. I have put on weight over the pandemic. There's absolutely no question about that. I'm annoyed about it in myself, but, you know, there we are. I guess I probably am not alone in this, actually, but I guess, you know, the pandemic affected affected everybody. And, but in, you know, certainly for us, the, the first way that the pandemic affected us was, you know, we were told to stay at home. So we just simply weren't moving about as, as much as we were. So I guess that's the, you know, and, and the UK government, they, they made recommendations, didn't they, about... Uh, levels of activity right at the start Derek is that right they did they so during that initial lockdown what they said was that people could go outside for around about half an hour uh it doesn't sound much um I suppose the question there is well what are you doing in that half an hour and does that meet what the government was the government guidelines and the WH whole guidelines about uh daily physical activity Uh, Now, those guidelines um, stated that you should do um, 150 minutes per week. Now, prior to that total number, uh, the recommendation was 30 minutes of exercise five days a week. And it was up to you, really, how you would try and uh, fit that in. Um, I think what they recognised was that um, sometimes people don't have 30 minutes a day to do any exercise. And so therefore, what would happen if people did an hour on a Saturday, an hour on a Sunday? So now they've done 120 minutes. Could they then fit in 30 minutes during the week? Um, So I think that idea of 30 minutes a day fitted their original recommendation. I think the other thing was that they recognised that um, people staying indoors 24 hours a day uh, would be really restrictive and um, I don't know if you remember uh, right back at the start of April um, we went into lockdown and um, I quite clearly remember um, we live uh, just north of Aberdeen and we used to go out as a family uh, the four of us and walk around the village there's a golf course here as well and go out on the golf course and it was eerily quiet um, and it took around about, I would say it took about three or four weeks before we noticed that when you went out for these walks, 
that there were more people out. I think the initial lockdown, people decided that they were completely locked down. Um, and that personal experience really fits with some of the um, findings that are now being published about what was the consequence on physical activity in the general population. And there's been some really nice work just coming out across a range of uh, different populations, not only from here in the UK, but also in the US. Uh, there's been work done in China and they all show the same thing, which is that uh, compared to the pre-pandemic levels, uh, physical activity levels dropped off by around about 25%. Um, now, 25%. The, the problem that we have is that that 25% isn't equal amongst um, the population. So when you look at the data, what it shows is that the people that are older, people that are um, determining on their socioeconomic scale. So if you're at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, the chances of you doing any physical activity was reduced. So that that 20%, actually the range uh, was actually, for some people that did more physical activity during the pandemic, and some people, it was way, way higher than uh, a 20% reduction. It was upwards of 45% reduction. So that is really alarming, uh, that the, the people that are at that um, far end, because as we're coming out of the pandemic, one of the things that we're now interested in is, well, if people have been inactive during the lockdown, have they now gone back to their pre-pandemic levels of activity or are they still remaining lower than they were originally? And the worry there is that if we look at um, if we look at children, um, what we know is that uh, and these go up to about 15 years of age, only about 45% of children reach the recommended uh, exercise levels that the government sets, which is based on WHO. So one then says, well, what's the consequence of that reduction in physical activity? And um, there's been some really nice work done, uh, published around about mid-2000s, which showed that... Um, if you compare children of around about when they were studied in the in 2000 and compare them with children from the early 1960s, there's a reduction in their overall aer aerobic capacity. You might think of that as fitness of around about 0.4% um, per year. Right. Well, what does that mean? Well, that what that means is that children know on average, are about 20% less fit than the population in the 1960s. And, and you, you then wonder, well, why is that? And there's a whole range of reasons for it. Um, depending on where you live, you may not be able to get to school on foot. Whereas back in the 60s, children used to walk to school. Uh, the other thing is that um, we know that there's a restriction on the timetable in a lot of uh, school curricula that have a time specifically for uh, physical education and what's the knock-on effect there. Um, also there's been changes in the school timetable where they get less time at, at lunchtime which is one of the periods in the day that they would actually go out 
outside and play and increase their physical activity. So the the story, I think, generally is that if we look back to the 1960s, 1970s, we've got this slow decline in um, what you might call population fitness. And that's something that we need to address. Uh, that's been exacerbated by uh, the pandemic. Um, so I think over the next sort of two or three years, there'll be an, an awful lot of interest in what's happening to physical activity levels when we look at the population. Have they come back to what we knew pre-pandemic? And if they're not coming back, what are the things that we should do to mitigate that that effect? Yeah. OK, Derek, I mean, there's there's so much in what you've just said. There. And uh, yes, you're right. I mean, it, one size does not fit all. It's, no. it's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I recall right from the, the, the start of the pandemic stories of people in Italy, of course, which had went into lockdown before us or more intensely, certainly as well. You know, people running marathons in very small balconies back and forth, you know. So obviously there, there are examples of people who take it in, in various different directions. But it strikes me there's a difference here or is there a difference between physical activity and exercise as, as physical activity includes everything that you move about during the day and exercise is what when you raise your heart rate sweat is, is there a distinction there uh, well if you look at if you look at some of the epidemiology uh, studies um, they do try and divide off uh, physical activity as opposed to what goes on at work. So some of the studies have looked at um, typically an eight hour, an eight hour day, and they've identified people that are inactive, which is that they spend most of the time sitting at a desk. Then they've got people that do heavy exercise. So that may well be things like manual labor. So uh, builders, ex for example, people that work in warehouses, people that spend most of the day on the feet. So if I think about uh, the NHS and you look at nursing staff and you look at doctors, they will spend somewhere in the region about eight to 10 hours on the feet. Very rarely do they get a chance to sit down. So they would be categorized as vigorous activity. And then in between, you've got people that are kind of in between. And then outside of that, you've got recreational activity. Now, that recreational activity is more what you might associate with um, exercise, prescribed exercise. So going to the gym, going out on a bike, going for a run. But included in there are also activities such as gardening, because the gardening is very similar to what you might find in terms of doing manual labor. Um, so I think trying to encompass uh, the leisure time activity is quite important, as opposed to what you're doing uh, at work. I mean, I certainly I certainly noticed that during lockdown, um, when I was working from home, um, just my normal activity was much less than if I was in the office, because in the office, if I uh, wanted to go and see somebody I, more than often, I would have to go up a flight of stairs, walk down a corridor. Well, sitting here at home, I would just click on uh, yeah. the internet and call somebody um over the over the internet so the i think that um what i'm trying to say is that uh, we have got studies that have looked at 
trying to differentiate between activity related to work and activity in a recreational setting. Um, what I would say is that um, if you look at some of the data, again, um, in general, when people went into lockdown, that that increase in sitting activity went up substantially by around about um, 25 minutes a day. And when you look at physical activity stroke exercise, that went down by about eight minutes per day. So if you okay. total that up over over an entire week, then, you know, we're talking about one to two hours additional sitting time and around about 40 to 45 minutes reduced physical activity. Um, so quite substantial um, changes in, in behaviour. Incidentally, as a footnote to this, I definitely take your point about gardening. Some people, some you know, there's maybe a perception that it's weeding or or planting things. But yeah, I've 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 laid paths, I've built a greenhouse. You know, yeah, there's always some some element of quite quite hard work to be done in the garden. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And and you also get that that whole satisfaction that goes with it. Of the, there is something that I have done. And mm -hmm. I guess I mean that's maybe not something that was intended and touching on but it's, it's raised there's it's, it's the, the the interconnected nature of our, our, our bodies and then you know if you're physically active and happy and satisfied the impact that, that has on your mental state as well i mean that's often you hear nowadays about particularly in gardeners world they, there's almost a regular talk about gardening as um as a form of therapy for people actually yeah, I, I I was actually interested uh, to read in two two separate studies that um, not only was there a decrease in physical activity, uh, but those individuals that recorded a greater decline in physical activity actually recorded a, a higher rate of anxiety. And so that relationship between the physical and mental aspects is something that um, certainly uh, we're picking up on. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a health psychologist or a sports psychologist, but it is being reported quite often now uh, that relationship between physical activity and the impact it has on certain aspects of mental health. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think we all know. You, you sort of feel it in yourself, really, don't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, do, yeah. do we need? Yeah, this is one of these things. Do we need somebody to tell us that? Well, actually, yes. We always need somebody to quantify and look at the dimensions of. So that's that was the pandemic, and you're right. It was two years ago, right at the start of it. We didn't know what was happening. It, it, it was locked down, but now here we are, two years later. I don't know that we can say we're, we're, we're post-pandemic because if the last two years has taught us anything. So we never know what's around the corner. But what has changed now? Now where we are, that we're society's opening back up. Um, well, I think uh, as we move forwards. Um, the driver will be to try and get people um, to engage in more physical activity. I think the other thing that's interesting is for those individuals that have the option to combine work with staying at home as well as going into the office, it'd be really interesting to understand whether or not those individuals that now work from home and so therefore don't have a commute time, what do they do with that spare time? I think we'll find that some individuals actually do more physical activity than they did before because they've got more time during the day. Um, the other thing that is that I've not really touched on, uh, but it is something that I talk to our students about in terms of physical activity as a lifestyle. Um, 
we, a lot of the time we think that physical activity really is only pertinent to children at, at school and as they go from school they might go to university they might play sport and then once they've left university they generally find that there's a decrease in physical activity and that may well be related to things like the responsibility of uh, work uh, bringing a family up and then when we get to about the 50s we see that there's in some people there's an increase in physical activity presumably because some of those responsibilities go down what i would i think the message to our students is that that physical activity is something that we should adopt and maintain throughout our, our entire lifestyle and why is that well one of the things that we know is that there's a gradual decline in somebody's fitness there's nothing you can do to offset it so when you are aged 20 you can go out you can run for a bus you can you, you know you can you can jog around a, a 10k you can make it by the time you get to oh around about 70 that 10k you might be able to walk if you've kept physically active if you've kept really physically active you may well be in a in a, in a condition to actually run it but there are some benefits to maintaining physical activity as we go through our entire lifespan. And some of those things are related to things like um, offsetting the onset of diabetes. So get better blood glucose control. The other thing that we know is that if you do exercise, you get a better maintenance of um, bone density. Um, doing physical activity we think will actually aid people in terms of balance because one of the things that is a is a problem when we get to sort of 70 and beyond is that the increased number of falls that individual have goes up and a, a fall sometimes can result in um, a broken bone inevitably uh, it seems to be in the elderly more related to hip fractures and so therefore, if you've got an increase in bone density, maybe those hip fractures won't be uh, won't happen as, as often. The other thing that we know is that if you ha if you did have a, an accident in which you, you broke a bone, the fitter you are, the quicker that you recover from uh, any surgery that you have to have. So I, I think if we if we're looking forwards, that message that we should have is that we should be trying to maintain that active lifestyle from when we're at school right through to old age and, and by old age I, I'm talking about people that are in their 80s yeah um, we should be still encouraging those individuals to remain active because in those instances they certainly become they certainly maintain their independence so that, that's my uh, message to, to the students is that we're, we're trying to get this idea of um, physical activity and exercise as a lifestyle, an adoption of a lifestyle rather than something that you do when you're young and then you forget about it. And then pick it back up when you become a middle-aged. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's the the, the, the joke, the mammal, the middle-aged man in lycra that, that, you know, on, on bikes and what have you. But yes, it's a healthy habit. It's an appropriate habit to adopt and keep throughout your lifestyle. And that's the gold standard, effectively. That, that, mm -hmm. that, that's that's what you're getting people to do. So you mentioned bone density in that. Now, it, it occurred to me just as you mentioned that I, I 
could be wrong here. Did I read somewhere that that's that's more associated with walking and running, and then it's the you know the, is it the yeah you know, effectively you know maybe that. The, that a bike wouldn't give you the bone density, you know, in the same way that running would, or is that a, a um, red herring? It it depends on which it depends on which bone you're looking at. Right. So um, if you're if you're doing running or walking or you're doing resistance training and you look at the bone density uh, around the hip because that is uh, weight bearing, then um, as far as I'm aware that the bone density there is probably higher than you see in individuals that undertake say cycling or swimming however if you look at a different bone structure so for example uh, we quite often look at the heel um, where yes you've still got some weight bearing activity um, the, the picture is not so clear so some of it is to do with um, the stresses that you put through that joint because obviously the the bones themselves which are part of that uh, locomotory uh, process they're the ones those bones are the ones that are taking the stress and as as a function of that that the bone will adapt to that stress that you put through it Okay, so that's the bone. I mean, I guess the ligaments, the, the the tendons and so on are a slightly different case as well. I mean, the soft tissue is the thing that people tend to injure, and that's what you have to be careful as well with, I guess, in it exercise. Is, yeah. it, it is. Um, what we The other thing that we know uh, about um, things like muscle and tendons is that as you get older, the ability to um, recover from uh, injury is somewhat... Um, Stun, uh, is somewhat slowed down and some of that is to do with these specialized cells that reside in skeletal muscle so if you do some ex let's say that you were in your early 20s and your friend said let's go out and do some hill walking and you've not done any hill walking before so you go up a Munro, you come back down two days later you can hardly walk you, your quadriceps are really sore and that's called delayed onset muscle soreness and usually it reflects some remodeling in muscle um, and if you were to take a biopsy what you would see is that there is some damage but it's being repaired now in part of that repair process we have these specialized cells they're called satellite cells and they produce muscle cells which then replace the ones that you've damaged and we have a number of those satellite cells as you age though that number of satellite cells goes down so obviously what it's what it means is that the aged muscle has got somewhat of a reduced capacity in in terms of regeneration they're not completely gone mm -hmm. But the, but they're not in not there in as abundant number. Um, if you look at muscle mass, it that goes down as well. And we're trying to understand why does muscle mass go down with age. There are two theories. One is related to that satellite cell number. The other one is related to activity. So if you think about somebody who's you know, uh, so somebody who somebody who's early twenties, they run about they. They do all sorts of things. You won't find that in an in a L, more old population. And part of that problem then, because those fibers are not recruited, they become smaller. And then over time, you'll get the slow fibers that replace those fast fibers. So part of it is actually a consequence of not 
not doing activities that recruit recruit those muscles. Um, and that is one of the reasons why if you look at recommendations now, not only do we recommend that people do some aerobic exercise, whether that's fast walking, whether that's jogging, but we also suggest that individuals should do some form of resistance exercise. And the reason for that is that that resistance exercise recruits those muscle fibers that you wouldn't normally. And so therefore we've got a better maintenance of that muscle mass because we've recruited these fibers that you wouldn't normally recruit when you just go walking etc okay so crudely put it's it's much more than the less you do the less you can do it's the less you do the less you will ever be able to do effectively. yes yeah yeah there is that old adage which is if you don't use it you lose it yeah indeed. and you know sometimes exercise is hard but if you stick to it, you do get the benefit. Yeah. Uh, that resistance exercise is certainly a message that we're giving out to a more old, to the to the more elderly population that it's not just enough to go out walking. What you need to think about is um, I'll climb some stairs. I'll go up a steep hill. Uh, my my mother, bless her, uh, is recovering from a shoulder injury and she was given a, a set of exercises to do on a shoulder. And she was asking me the other day about, um, oh, it says that I should increase the resistance. And we, we agree that what she should do now that she can do the exercises without any weights is to use things like a, a, a tin of baked beans and do the exercises again. So it's it's nothing complicated. It's essentially what you're trying to do is increase the load so that the muscle responds and gets stronger. Okay, fine. So we know what we should be doing. We know what we should be doing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get people to do it? What's the message? And I mean, I guess there's a whole bunch of stuff in, in, in that question really is. I mean, it's how do you get the message in right? How do you bring people along with you? How do you get people to not go, oh, this is the nanny state telling me what I should and shouldn't do? Um, well, one of the great one of the great things that I've seen in the last, uh, it's about the last seven years, what is it? at a series of schools in um, in and around Stirling University. So the researchers there wanted to know what would happen if every day we introduced in primary school children that they had to do, they had to cover one mile a day while they're at school. The, the daily mile. Yeah, actually yeah. my daughter does that. Yes, right. Okay. And so <laughs> what they did was they, they, they got three or four schools to engage in this and they did it for each year. So that was from P1 through to P7. And during the day, they would interrupt class and they'd go out and do one mile a day. The first thing that the teachers reported was that there was an improvement in child behaviour. So where, where children were messing about and stuff, what they found is that they didn't get that disruptive behaviour. The other thing is that they noticed over time that the time required to cover the mile went down. Um, my two daughters uh, participated in that. And um, since they've gone up to high school, although they do get four lessons of PE a week, um, my, my eldest daughter did say to me, you know what, I, I, I do miss that one mile a day. Maybe we should be thinking about trying to incorporate that in the school day, even at secondary school. And you could have that right at the start of the day. So yeah. where they've got the registration class, uh, uh, covering a mile is going to take you less than 15 minutes. So why are we not 
thinking about incorporating that in the school day. The, the whole idea is that you get people used to the habit of doing exercise as part of normal everyday activities. For the people uh, that are, for example, middle-aged, you've so people like myself, you've either adopted that physical activity since you were quite young, or does something happen that you try and take take up physical activity? Um, it's very difficult to get people that don't adopt that as a lifestyle factor to actually uh, take it up. People join a gym and then two, two months later, they let their membership go and they don't turn up. Um, it, I think for places like gymnasia, it's really difficult to keep your uh, membership engaged in that process. And uh, the ones that are successful really do focus on individual members to so make them feel part of, of what what's going on. But it, it's not always the case. Um, I think that that is the challenge. Making things available to making facilities available is also uh, important. Yeah, you can get the message, but people also have to have the capacity to do it. Yes. The, the, the equipment, the structure, the yeah. And yes, as it's, it's, it's more than just a messaging thing. As it it's been incorporating it in your lifestyle, so and it's shown what the benefits are. You know, that this mm -hmm. isn't a nanny state. This is actually no. It's about making sure you get the best opportunity for your life for as long as is possible yes. with it within that lifespan yeah and actually it's an interesting point you make about the secondary schools here so, so my daughter's at primary school so they're still doing the daily mail and it's interesting to, to reflect that it was missed at secondary school and actually if, if we go back to what we're saying about the impact of you know a healthy body and a healthy mind as it were um you know that if when you've got the stresses and strains of doing your exams in fifth and sixth year then maybe that daily miles all the more important for a break for something to take your mind off it as as well as keeping you physically active in a different direction yeah i mean it's, it's, i i i really see the benefit of what you're saying there I guess we've covered a lot of uh, yes, we've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that one wasn't planned, right? Yeah, um, I, I do like a good bad dad joke, but yeah, that that one was was accidental. Um, are, are there any sort of final points? Is there anything we haven't covered you want to to raise? No, I think um, I, I, I think we've covered everything uh, that, I, that that I was hoping to cover. Um, I mean, we could go into an awful lot more depth. But um, I, I think we, we save that for, for another for another occasion. Well, Chris. indeed, indeed, yes. So, I mean, and I should have said at the the, the start to, to all of our listeners out there. I mean, we do encourage you to, if you have questions for Derek, please get in touch with us at peru at abdn.ac.uk so that's p-e-r-u at abdn.ac.uk so if there's any questions or if there's any aspects that you would like us to cover in more depth i would be more than delighted to have derek back to have another another chat so um so if our listeners would like to get in touch please do and i will happily pass questions on to derek but in the meantime derek i'd like to say thanks very much for a, a great really stimulating interesting chat and um hopefully we can do it again soon so thanks very much Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for the invite. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.